So uh, this sermon is called Elijah Gone in 60 Seconds. And so I made this uh, graphic, and it's kind of hard to see. But uh, so that's, you can't see Nicolas Cage there, but I threw a turban on him, and, and I gave him a, a long beard. And if we had a really good projector, this would look even worse, okay? So just be happy that, uh, that it doesn't look that good now. But here's what happened. You have this guy, Elijah, who's been following God uh, all, all this time, and you see God working through his life, and then something happens, and it's gone in 60 seconds. And, and like, I don't know if you've ever gone through this in your life where everything's going along great, and then maybe you get an email, Maybe your spouse calls you up on the phone. Maybe you um, uh, get to work and there's a pink slip on your desk. And whatever was going on, maybe you get that phone call at 2 o'clock in the morning, whatever was going on is now gone in 60 seconds. What I want to do is I want to kind of set this up to see what Elijah was like, what he was going through, how was his relationship with God, what was going on, and 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 then what happened. And so we're in... 1 Kings chapter uh, 18 and 19. Well, actually, it, it, the story spans 17, 18, and 19. And so I'll just kind of tell the story about what's going on. Again, we're in about 850 B.C. And uh, last week we talked about Elisha. This happened just before that, a few years before that story with Elisha and the lepers and all that, which was a fun story last week. I'd encourage you to get the podcast if you don't have it, just for the story of the lepers because it's awesome. Uh, um, but... We're a a little bit before there, and Elijah was a prophet, and he was a prophet during the time of Ahab. Now, Ahab was a king in Israel who was just not a very good king. God was very frustrated with Ahab because Ahab married this lady named Jezebel, and she was nasty. Like, Jezebel is not, if there's any Jezebels out there, I apologize, but like Judas and Jezebel are names we should probably not name our kids anymore, okay? And what Jezebel did, after she married Ahab, they started putting up these altars to worship Baal. And they put up these poles called the Asherah pole, and it was to worship a female deity. And so there would be these poles all over Israel, and it made God frustrated. And then Jezebel killed all the prophets of God, just had them killed. Now, there was a guy named Obadiah who was kind of in their circle, and Obadiah loved God, and so he hid a hundred prophets away that remained safe, and Elijah was one of those prophets. And so what happened was, in order to judge Ahab, God sent Elijah to Ahab, and basically, Elijah said, it's not going to rain until I say so. So just get ready for a drought, and he leaves. And God puts him by this brook, and basically, he just drinks out of that brook. Now, get this. this is, we're going to begin to see this kind of relationship that Elijah had with God. He drinks out of this brook, and every morning, a raven would bring him bread and meat. And every night, a raven would bring him bread and meat. Is that incredible? I mean, can you imagine you wake up in the morning, and in through your window flies a crow with like a Togo sandwich in its mouth? And you're like, oh, thanks, Lord, you know, and it's like, oh, and you're like, roast, roast beef tonight, please, you know, hold the mayo. I mean, so honestly, imagine if you woke up in the morning and it was breakfast in bed from God, from a bird. 
And then before you go to bed, God feeds you from a bird, okay? That's a pretty, you, you're beginning to see this was no ordinary life with God. And so that brook dries up because the rain stops. And so God tells Elijah to go to the city and you'll see this widow outside the city. And guess what? Elijah shows up in the city and there's a widow right there, just like God said. And Elijah says, hey, can I have some food? And she says, no, I'm making this little bit of bread. My son and I are going to eat it, and then we're going to die. We have nothing. In those days, widows were not cared for, and if you didn't have a man, you were out of luck. Okay? Okay. So anyway, <laughs> so, okay, where is, okay, Elijah. Okay, so Elijah says, no, 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 give me, trust me, give me some, something to eat, and you'll see. So she, he eats this bread, and then they go home, and she's got this little thing of oil and this little thing of flour, and they just begin to make bread, make bread, make bread. It just, it never runs out. And Elijah's like, yeah, this is what, this is my everyday existence with God. Don't sweat it. All of a sudden, her son dies, and she goes, some, essentially, she says, some man of God you are. My son's dead now. So he takes the son, puts him in his bed, lies on him three times and prays to God, says, God, please raise this guy from the dead. And on the third time, guess what happens? He gets risen from the dead. I mean, really? He takes him, picks him up, brings him back to the, to the mom, says, here you go. Just another day of my Christian life, <laughs> raising people from the dead, getting sandwiches from birds. It doesn't matter. Anything's going on. Well, then God comes and says, I want you to go back to Ahab and tell him I'm bringing the rain. Elijah, no big deal. He goes back. He sees that guy Obadiah that saved him and the other 99 prophets, and he says, go tell Ahab I'm ready to see him. And Obadiah's like, are you kidding me? If he finds out that I'm talking to you, he's going to kill me. Elijah's like, dude, I get fed by ravens. I've raised people from the dead. I'll see Ahab tomorrow. Just go tell him. Ahab comes. He says, Ahab, I'm bringing the rain. So here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to get 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah, get the people of Israel. We're going up to Mount Carmel, which I like to say caramel because when I was a kid, that was the mountain I wanted. That was the mountain of God, the mountain of caramel. There's a Carmel. So they go up there, and Elijah has this deal that he's going to do. He says, the rain's coming, but we have to first figure out which God is bringing the rain because he asked the people, you, got, you better make up your mind if you're going to serve God or if you're going to serve these other gods. Make it up. And they were silent. So he goes, fine. Here's what we're going to do. You guys make an altar here for Baal, okay? I'm going to over here make an altar for God. But don't light it on fire. You just summon, we're going to each summon our God and we're going to see who's going to come. And you know what? It's great. If, as a matter of fact, if you look, if you look here, it says here, then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. I love the New American Standard. It says, that's a good idea. That's what the New American said. Because you can imagine these people, they're like, this is going to be awesome. That's a, that's a great idea. I want, either way, I just want to see it happen. So, they, so the, the, the prophets of Baal and Asherah, they build this um, altar, and it says early in the morning they start prophesying. They start calling upon Baal to come down. They start calling upon Asherah. Now this goes on from early morning till four hours. Now listen, imagine if I get this all going. My God's over here, that God's over here, and you guys are watching. By what hour are you going, I don't think he's coming. 
I mean, hour, you know, at the end of hour one, you're like, well, it's been, you know, they, they had the sundial watch at the time. They're like, ah, ah it's been kind of a while. I don't, I don't know. Hour two, hour three, hour four, you're like, come on, I'm starving. He ain't coming. So what Elijah does, Elijah starts to mock them. Now imagine, you get fed by birds, you raise people from the dead, um, you know, you, you basically told a guy, hey, it's not going to rain until I say so. I mean, you've got this incredible relationship with God. So what he starts to do is he starts to mock them. He starts to say, is your God asleep? Did he go on vacation? What's going on? Scream louder. So you know what they do? They start screaming louder. And they start cutting themselves with swords and spears. And the Bible says that blood began to flow off of them. And they're frantically, the Bible says, prophesying in the name of their God. And nothing. And Elijah's just sitting there going, becomes time for the sacrifice. So Elijah digs a big trench. And then he puts 12 stones there, representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And he puts wood all around, and then he puts the ox that he was supposed to kill, and he was supposed to sacrifice on that stuff. And he says, get these big things and pour water all over it. And, he, and they do that. And he says, do it again. And they do it again. Now listen, if this were Hollywood, we'd be watching this, and like Elijah would be there, and his hair would be like in front of like steely blue eyes, and he'd, he'd be there, and he'd look up at the camera, and he'd go, do it again. <laughs> like, that's how confident he was. I mean, he was just Elijah. He knows God. I mean, he was just, you'd just be like, oh, Elijah, it's amazing. And so they do it again. And then Elijah says a prayer. He says this, at the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, oh Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel. Let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I've done these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me. Now listen. So that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you're turning their hearts back again. This guy has got confidence that God is going to move. I don't know if you've ever had that time in your life when things were just going great spiritually, you kind of, everything, everything was kind of flowing along. Everything you wanted was happening. Everything you were praying for, it was really, go, it was really happening. So he's in that zone, if you will. And he, he says this in, in 1 Kings 18, 38. And it's, it's on, the, on the wall there. It says, Then the fire of the Lord fell, burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. Gone. Just like that. He prays, the fire comes, and did the natural response of the people. When the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And then Elijah, just with the power of the Lord and the confidence that goes, he, he looks at him and goes, hey, all those 950 prophets, send them down there, we're killing them all. And they kill all of them. I mean, this guy, this is a, this is a crazy day. Okay, so what happens next? It doesn't end there. He tells Ahab, hey, dude, you better get on your chariot and take off because the rain's coming. I can hear it. It's heavy rain. You better eat and drink and get yourself all squared away because we're going to take, this rain's coming. You better leave right now. And so 
Elijah goes back up to Mount uh, Carmel. He gets down on his knees. He puts his head between his knees and he begins to pray and pray. And he's like, God. And he tells his servant, go check for the rain. Go, is it coming? He comes back. Nope, it's not coming. Elijah's like, go check again. Go check again. Go check again. Seven times he checks. All of a sudden, the servant says, I see a cloud. It's about the size of a man's fist and it's black and it's coming. And he goes, go tell Ahab, you better get your butt home. Okay, so he, it's kind of like that. So he, he goes and he tells him, now watch what happens. This is incredible. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Ahab's in a chariot. Elijah's just running. Now, I don't know how it went down, okay? Have you ever been on the freeway and you're just minding your own business and you're, you know, you're listening to your Michael Bolton CD and you're just kind of going along and somebody blows by you and it rocks your car? I don't know if that's how it happened. I don't know if he was gone his chariot and all of a sudden, boom, and he looks and somebody's, you know, somebody's legs are going, kicking up dust and he looks in his rearview mirror and he's like, what is going on? I don't know if it happened like that. I don't know if it happened where he's in his chariot going along and, you know, Elijah goes like, hey, what's up? You in a chariot? Huh? I'm just running. Yeah, see ya. And takes off, you know, and, and Ahab tries to catch him. I don't know if Elijah went around and was at Jezreel with his arms folded. And when Ahab came up, he's like, what took you so long? You know, I don't know how it happened. But he gets to Jezreel. It's about, when I mapped it out, at the minimum, it's 24 miles. Okay, so he ran a marathon, essentially. That's if he ran straight. But, you know, he's going down Mount Carmel. Probably had to go on a zigzag. It was probably longer than that. He outruns a chariot. Now, imagine your life spiritually. What you'd look like if you were raising people from the dead, you were having sandwiches delivered by crows, you, you, were, you were having miracles all around you, you were spiritually cocky, telling, ah, your God won't do anything. Watch what my God could do. You pray for rain and it comes. You outright ride a chariot. Man, imagine what you'd look like. So what happens is they're in Jezreel, or he is, and Ahab tells Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel, now here's the thing. If you're Jezebel and you've killed a whole bunch of prophets from God and then you send your prophets out and they all die and Ahab, your husband, tells you this story and she's going, how long did our prophets pray? Uh, it seemed like forever, but I think it was five hours. Ah. And nothing, huh? No, nothing. It nothing. I didn't see anything, didn't hear anything. How long did Elijah pray? Ten seconds, max. And what happened? Everything was gone. You think Jezebel would go, I made a big mistake, or we should follow that God. No, here's what she says. She says, so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods, gods deal with me. What gods? They didn't even show up. Be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them, one of those prophets that you kill. Now the next verse is one of the oddest verses in Scripture. And when I first read it this week, I, I've read it before, I, get, I got kind of depressed 
it didn't make any sense to me. Like, to me, it's one of the most confusing verses in the Bible. I don't, you know, when you read the, first, the chapters prior to it, you would think that this verse coming up would be one where you're like, that just makes so much sense. And it makes absolutely no sense unless you too have had times in your life that were really close to God and then got news like that. It says, it's just incredible to me. It says in 1 Kings 19.3, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. What? You were afraid and ran for your life? How is that possible? How do you have food given to you by crows? How do you raise people from the dead? How do you see God do all that work? How do you outrun a chariot and call fire down and rain down? And then some lady who doesn't even follow God sends you a note and you get afraid and run for your life? See, the reason it depressed me is because I've been Elijah. I've been close, not with the fire and the rain and the ravens and stuff, but close, okay? <laughs> I mean, I've read my Bible and really felt inspired by it. So that's, that's good. No, I've had times with God where I just, I, you just feel so close to him and he's doing great things and great things and then I've gotten that email and gone, oh man, forget it. It's over. You know, I've been doing things in life and everything's going great and then you get that bill in the mail and you go, what? Are they even allowed to do that? And you just go, oh, and all the things that I've seen God do in my life, all those things are gone in 60 seconds once I open that envelope, once I get that phone call, once I get that email. And it's depressing to me to read it and go, man, if Elijah can't do it, there's no way I can do it. And if you stopped right there in the scripture, if you read that and that was the last page of the Bible and you go, wow, that was depressing, right? You'd be so bummed out, but it goes on. And it begins to give us some insight into maybe how we can avoid this part of the story. Or if we don't avoid it, like Elijah didn't, we get to see an aspect of our God deal with it that excites us. And so as I began to read more and more, and I began to see God moving and seeing kind of how everything was unfolding, I began to realize that God has never left this story. Even when Elijah thinks, what am I going to do? Now, what does Elijah say? He says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. I don't know if he still ran fast like the chariot, but he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. So basically he says to his servant, see ya, I'm on my own. So first problem with getting news like that is you isolate yourself. Okay, so he goes on, he says, um, while he himself went a day's journey into the desert, he came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. Listen to what he says. I've had enough, Lord. Enough of what? Enough fire coming down from heaven and eating up rocks? I mean, 
just one thing? He says, I've had enough. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. <laughs> he says, I'm done. Go ahead, kill me. Okay? Now, if I were God, I'd be kind of ticked. I'd be a little upset. Like, have you looked at the last two days, what I did for you, with you, through you? I mean, come on, dude. And so he gets upset and he falls asleep. So guess what happens? It's just so incredible. He falls asleep and an angel wakes him up. Had made him some hot bread cakes and some water. I mean, talk about this guy. I don't know. Every time he wakes up, there seems to be food there. Come on, honey. Let's go. All right, no. Uh, so so he, he wakes, an angel wakes him up and says, hey, eat. You got a long trip to, to do. It's like a long trip. I just asked God to kill me. Uh-uh. So he eats a little bit, and he falls back to sleep again. Angel taps him on. I don't know if he tapped him on the head, but he woke him up again. You got to go. Eat these bread cakes. You're not going to make it on your own. And so he eats the bread cakes, and those bread cakes give him enough energy for a 40-day journey to the mountain of God. And when he gets there, God asks him a question that God asks me all the time. He shows up at the mountain, and God says, what are you doing here? What are you, Elijah, what are you doing here? Why are you here? We were doing so well with the fire and the rain and everything. What, what, what's going on? And watch Elijah's answer because I think this begins to give me at least insight as to why I can be devastated by one email, why I can be devastated by one bill that comes in the mail, why I can be devastated by a phone call in the middle of the night, why I can be devastated by my wife saying, I didn't really like that sermon, okay? Which happens a lot, okay? No, <laughs> right? I mean, how is it possible that we can go in this relationship with the Lord and just be devastated by one thing? Now watch what he says. It's just, it's just incredible. He says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Who is the subject of this complaint? Elijah. And oftentimes, most of the time, self-pity is what Satan uses to get me. Self-pity is what Satan says, you did all that and they said that? Oh, and yeah, you know what? You're right. I did do all that. And they, I mean, listen to the way he says it. It's incredible. He doesn't say anything about God. As a matter of fact, he almost accuses God of not being here. And here's what he does. He goes back to a source of pain. He says, these prophets are dead now. Now, put yourself in Elijah's position. You're a prophet. You hang out with prophets. They're your friends. It's your community. And they're all killed in just a few days by Jezebel. All your buddies, gone. Do you think Elijah had any time grieving that? Of course he did. Just like you. Imagine we're in ministry together, all of us, and someone comes in and kills all of you guys, and then I'm the only one left. That would devastate me. I mean, so Elijah's going back to this time of pain. He says, I've been very zealous for the Lord. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. In other words, your people stink, right? Broken down your altars. Nobody can worship you. And put your prophets to death with the sword. In other words, where were you when all this was happening? God? 
I mean, I appreciate the fire, I appreciate the rain, I appreciate the raven, and those were really good bread cakes, by the way. But where were you? See, I started to look at that, and I started to get insight into my own life about what, where I go wrong. Because you see, pastors and anyone in ministry and anyone with a family, we all go through those same things where God's doing all these great things, and then you get one bit of news, and you go, oh, no. It's a sign of immaturity in my life. It's a sign of self-pity. So here's what God does. God doesn't even address it. Okay? He doesn't even talk to Elijah about it. He just says, go back. He goes, you're going to hear my voice. So some wind comes, God's not in the wind. An earthquake comes, God's not in the earthquake. Fire comes, God's not in the fire. And then a still, small voice comes to Elijah, and he knows this is God. And so the Bible says he takes his cloak and he puts it over his face because now he's going to meet God. He goes up and it's a still small voice and it says he gets to the edge of the cave and guess what God asks Elijah? What are you doing here? Why are you here? And it's like, well, you gave me some bread cakes and I went and I had to, I want to talk to you. And this is what Elijah says. It's, in, it's phenomenal what Elijah says. He says the exact same thing he said in verse 10 with all the commas and quotation marks. Exactly. Watch. 14. See, it says 1 Kings 19.14. He replied, I've been very zealous. Yeah, now it just switched to 19.10. We're just switching slides, okay? The only thing that changes is the 10 and the 14. It's not a trick. Read your Bible. It's the exact same thing. Because Elijah had rehearsed it for 41 days on his journey to meet God. And you know how I know he rehearsed it? Because that's what I do. I get the letter. I get the email. I get whatever it is. And I begin to rehearse in my mind that by the aid of the enemy and the aid of my flesh going, it's not fair. You don't even, they don't know. They don't, I can't believe that. After all you did, after all you said, again and again and again until I have it right down to a nice package. And when God says, where are you? Why are you here? I go, and I rehearse it. And then God shows up and he calls me forward and he says, what are you doing here? And I rehearse it again. And listen, again, if we stopped here, we'd go, oh man, you mean meeting God face to face doesn't change anything? This is so exciting what happens next. So nothing changes but the verse reference, okay? He says again, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. And I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Let me show you what God does, because this is so great. Here's what God answers. Now, now, he has just been given, God has just been given an argument. This is what I'm doing here. So God has been given some facts now. And here's what God says. Go back the way you came. I'm sorry. Okay, I'll repeat it one more time because I've been repeating it for 41 days. I've been very zealous for the Lord. I, you know, did all this stuff. Your people have rejected you. They've uh, broken your altars. They've done all this stuff. That was my argument. Yeah, here's God. Go back the way you came. See, this is what's so awesome about God that I love is that no matter what that email or mail or conversation or phone call means to me, he is unmoved by it. 
And I think oftentimes we get into a, a, into a place in our lives where the fire coming down from heaven is licking the, uh, uh, the water up is good and things that happen that we don't like are bad and that God is here and he's absent here. And what God is saying is, no, 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 I'm above it all. See, by the fact that he says, go back the way you came, he saw Elijah come the entire time said, just retrace your steps. I was watching you the whole bit of it. And I think there are three, three things in this section of scripture that God can kind of push back on us as the enemy begin, begins to, um, to uh, feed us lies in the, in the form of these things because these things are gonna happen. You will get the phone call. You will have it, something happen at work where you're like, and God just wants you to stand. He doesn't want you to turn and run for your life. He wants you to stand. That, that's actually the point for this morning. You can fill it in in your little thing up at the top. Standing is winning. The way Ephesians says it is after you've put on the full armor of God, stand. Stand firm. That's your faith. Be re- Once you're there, stand. Standing is winning. We don't ha- it doesn't have to be like the fire and the oxen all the time. It doesn't have to be like getting food from ravens. It doesn't have to be like that. When God, when God is in control and when we get that news, we stand and say, God, you are in control. And the first thing that we learn from this is that God has never leaves. He understands it all. See, the enemy, Satan, will tell you God didn't do anything about that. God could have done that. God could have healed them. God could have, you prayed. God didn't do anything. God must not be in control. God doesn't even address it. He just says, go back the way you came. The second thing that happens to us and what happened to Elijah is Elijah said, I'm all alone in this. There's nobody else. Nobody's following you and all the prophets are dead. Well, we know that all the prophets weren't dead. They'd saved 99 and him. But God says this, yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and all whose mouths have not kissed him. You're not alone. You're not alone. People are going through the same thing. And you might be in an area right now in your life where you've had a loss or you've had some news or you have whatever and God is just saying, just stand, trust me. Don't run in fear. Don't begin rehearsing. Don't begin listening to those lies saying i'm not in control i am in control and you are just to stand and some of you are right now are standing in your marriage you're standing in your finances you're standing in loss deep sense of loss and god is saying that's it that's exactly what i want i want you to stand there you're not alone i'm in control the third thing that we see from god is he says you still have things to do now, now, Elijah's 41 days away from where he's supposed to be, sustained by God the entire time. And when he gets there, God says, what are you doing here? And he repeats his thing, and he says it again. What are you doing here? He repeats his thing, and he says, look, I've still got stuff for you to do. He says, go back the way you came. Uh, go to the desert of Damascus, and when you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. And then he gives him a whole bunch of other stuff in the next couple of verses, one of which is to say, and go get Elisha because you guys are going to minister together for a while. And if you just stopped at the Elijah ran for his life, it would be so depressing. But as you begin to read, and as you begin to see that God didn't just tell Elijah, you big baby, I'm God. 
What happened? Oh, did Jezebel try to, oh, yeah. Right? He says, come on, let's go. I've got more ministry for you to do. There's more stuff for us to do. Don't let that get in the way. And when you begin to read what happens to Elijah after that, you're like, holy mackerel. He was set right back into place. He began doing exactly what he was doing before. God's speaking through him. God's using him. Here's another, that's the third part of this lie that the enemy gets. When you get 41 days out, when you begin to get rocked by your finances or marriage or a relationship or whatever, and you just say, I can't do it anymore, and you run for your life, God says, no, 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 no. No, you're not useless. Stop talking like that. That's a lie. God can still use you. I want to read a section in the New Testament as the worship band returns that kind of sums all this up. It's so cool. Because it's the same thing. First Peter says the same thing. He says, in First in, in Peter 5, 8, it says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in your faith. Because you know you're not alone. Your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. See, this verse begins to address, these verses begin to address the exact same thing Elijah was going through. It's not that, it's not that um, Satan necessarily brought on the bad, but he's going to use it. He's going to use it to say, I can't believe God wasn't there for you. We live in a fallen world, and he will begin to do that. And he says, stand firm in your faith during that time. And then, and then the next verse is just incredible. And you can circle it in your Bible. I'll, t- I'll tell you what to circle. In, in, in verse 10, it says, And the God of all grace, and then it has these two phrases, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while. The Holy Spirit inspired Peter to put those two phrases in there. I'm going to tell you for a second just to pull them out, not because the Holy Spirit was wrong, but because I want you to see the most amazing statement in the Bible, well, one of them. And the God of all grace will himself restore you and make you strong. Isn't that incredible? See, when, when, when these things happen, when we, when we get the news, and w- when it's not working out the way we had planned, and we can stand firm knowing that we're not alone, that God knows about it. It says, and the God of all grace will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. And then it ends with where all the focus should be on in the first place. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Amen. 